It's good. It's good to be back with you this morning. We enjoyed our time away, but uh, it is good to be back with you today. Turn, if you would, this morning to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is where we're going to be this morning. And let's open with a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you this morning. It is good to be in your house. It's good to have the fellowship with the brethren. It's good to enjoy this time of singing. It's good to be uh, able to look into your word. And I pray that in these next few moments that you would give me clarity of thought, that you would allow me to say what you've laid upon my heart, and, Lord, that it would be a help to your people. I pray, Lord, that we would not have distraction, that we would be able to listen, give attention in a way that would be pleasing to you. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I know that you know this, but this is Memorial Day weekend, and that is a time where we as citizens of this country reflect on those who served and those who never made it home from their time of service. And I want you to know that as a citizen of this nation, I am grateful for all who have served and especially those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. And in years past, I have preached special sermons that would go in line with Memorial Day. Some years I have not. This message is kind of a combination of the two. We're going to be dealing with memory, and yet we're not going to be dealing with it by way of a national perspective or a national approach. And so I hope that this will make sense to us in the moments to come. I hope that this will all unfold in a way that we can be benefited by this. But I want to begin this morning by telling you a story that I have not shared with you in the past, I don't believe. It involves a girl that I was attracted to very much so in my high school years. This was a girl that I thought was just absolutely stunning. I thought she was absolutely beautiful. And in our day, here is how I would have said it, and some of you will recognize this. I wanted me and her to go together. Now, I didn't know what that meant, and really to this day, I still don't know what that means, but... I wanted to go together. I wanted to be her boyfriend. I wanted her to be my girlfriend. And she was not near as interested in the idea as I was. But I was somewhat relentless in my pursuit. So I let it be known to her, I'm sure through several different avenues, that I was attracted to her. And so eventually, I was able to woo her to an extent to be interested in me. But you understand how sometimes high school relationships can be weird at best. This would certainly fall into the category of weird, if not just downright awkward. So anyways, I was highly attracted to her. She was not overly attracted to me. Yet we did manage to go out on a couple of dates, and the spark just never really existed. I sense your sympathy. Once it became obvious that she had no real interest in me, she kind of went her own direction. I kind of went my own direction, whatever that consisted of. But I made one last-ditch effort to somehow capture her attention by doing something that I would not recommend to any other young man in my position. I decided to write her parents a note. 
telling them how much I thought of them as a family, telling them how much I liked them as a husband and wife, and how much I, I was attracted to their family. And, and as I remembered in my mind, it was far more mushy than it ever should have been. When you consider I should have never written the note in the first place. I have no idea whatever happened after that note was written and hand-delivered by me into their mailbox, but I do know this. I did not get the girl, for which I can now say I am thankful. But nonetheless, it did not accomplish in my life what I was hoping it would accomplish. So that's been almost 30 years now since I wrote that gushy, mushy letter to some grown-ups that I didn't really even know. I delivered it to their mailbox, and as I think about that now, as I have thought about it many times over the years, I have to tell you, I've been very embarrassed of myself. I maybe shouldn't express it this way, but I have thought many times over the last 30 years, Kyle, you are an idiot. Kyle, that was stupid. Kyle, you would have been so much better off if you had just kept all those weird thoughts to yourself and not put them in writing as evidence against you. Kyle, you are a dork. I've had so many thoughts of shame and embarrassment associated with that. And here is the sad reality, to an extent, that as much as I would like to forget it, I can't. There are just certain times in life, I, I don't, I, I'm not even thinking about this person, I'm not thinking about her family, I'm not thinking about any of it, but something will happen, and that whole scenario will replay in my mind. And again, it's those exact same thoughts. Kyle, you're dumb. Kyle, what a dork. Kyle, that, that was so ignorant of you. What would make you think that that would help woo her to you? I've just had all these thoughts at random times over the years come to mind, and there have been so many occasions where I've thought to myself, I wish I could just forget all of it. But I can't. Oh, how I'd love to be able to wipe the slate clean and not remember that, but I'm incapable of doing so. And as much as it pains me to think about that, as much as it embarrasses me to think about what I may have written in that note, here's what I realize. I'm actually a little bit better off in the long run that I did something so foolish because I've learned something now as a father. And that is this. Boys are no smarter today than I was 30 years ago. Amen. Boys are still dumb. Boys are still goofy. Boys are still stupid. Boys are still dorks. And, and so if I hadn't had one of those moments myself, you know what I might be tempted to think these days? These boys are a bunch of morons. 
but I'm able to show a little bit of great, a little bit of grace. I'm I'm able to show a little bit of kindness to to goofy boys because I'm reminded of how goofy I was when I was their age. So though I wish it hadn't happened, though there's a sense of embarrassment on my part that it did, I'm actually better off having gone through that. Now this morning as we hold on to that principle, I want us to think about the Apostle Paul. I think most of us know this, that it is Paul who wrote this letter to a young man by the name of Timothy. And I think most of us know this, that before Paul was Paul the Apostle, he is commonly referred to as Saul of Tarsus. That's how many of us know him as either Saul of Tarsus or Paul the Apostle. And before he was Paul the Apostle, when he was Saul of Tarsus, here is what we know is that he had no use for Christ. He had no use for Christianity. He had no use for anyone who identified themselves as believers or followers of Christ. We know that Saul, who was Paul, was a persecutor of the church. We know that Paul, who was Saul, was one who threw people into prison for their faith. It was Saul who was the one who would take people's lives when they would not recant on their faith and and go back to an old way of life. That is who Saul or who Paul was prior to his salvation. And here's what I just have to assume. Here is what I just have to believe that when Paul would look back over his life and who he was prior to that experience on the road to Damascus, here is what I think Paul would have to wrestle with in his heart. I can't believe I used to be that kind of a person. I, I can't believe that I did that. Can you imagine Paul, the apostle, and everything that he became for the cause of Christ? Can you imagine being him and reflecting on everything that he had done prior to his salvation? Don't you know that he remembered the screams of wives or daughters when he took away some lady's husband or some child's father? Don't you know that he could replay one scene after another, after another, after another? Don't you know that he can remember the people's blood that he had on his hands, both literally and figuratively? Don't you know that in the heart of Paul and in the mind of Paul, there had to be a sense of shame and a sense of embarrassment and a sense of disgrace for everything that he had been a part of? prior to his salvation? I don't know about you, but I would think if I were the Apostle Paul, kind of like my little story that I opened with, though on a much greater magnitude, here is what I would have to think. I would have to think that the Apostle Paul would try to do everything he could to forget some of the things that he had engaged in and been a part of. Whenever that vision would begin to replay in his mind of something that he had dealt with or something that he had been a part of, I think there would have been some kind of an effort from a human standpoint to shut that down and not go there and to not visit it again. 
because of the shame and the embarrassment and the disgrace that it was to him now. I don't know that Paul ever dealt with nightmares, but, but I, I know the mind has not changed in the last 2,000 years. It, it just kind of makes me wonder if there was ever a time when he was sleeping soundly, when all of a sudden he began to dream of what had happened in years past, and he would jump up in bed somewhat startled by what had just replayed in his mind by way of a dream, and him saying to himself, I've got to get that out of my mind. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to dwell upon that. I just wonder if he wrestled with that. I just wonder if there were occasions where maybe something was said, someone said something, something happened around him, and it sparked some kind of a memory, and he thought to himself, I don't even want to go there. It's just too painful. I would think that that's how Paul would approach his past in light of his present. But I find it amazing. That as you read Paul's words to Timothy, Paul was making no effort whatsoever to forget what he had once been guilty of. He's not trying to shy away from it. He's not trying to act like it didn't happen. He's not trying to act like it's not a part of who he was in the past. No, what you see here is this, is that Paul took full ownership of who he was and what he was engaged in and the life that he had once lived. Somebody says, well, well, how do you know? All right, remember he is writing to Timothy, his son in the ministry, someone who would have admired Paul, someone who would have revered Paul, someone who would have held him in high esteem. Paul didn't have to go here in his thoughts with Timothy, but Paul went here in his thoughts with Timothy. Notice in chapter 1 what Paul said in verse number 13. Of himself, Paul said, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. Paul reminds Timothy not of who someone else was, but Paul reminds Timothy of who he was. I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and I was injurious. What does that mean when Paul makes this statement? It just means this. Again, he had no respect or reverence for God, for the things of God, for Christ. He was mean. He was cruel. He was abusive. He had no regard for human life who differed from him by way of belief and practice. Paul says, that is who I am. Now, somebody may say something like this, Paul, why would you go there? Paul, why would you even bring this up? Paul, why would you even revisit this? Paul, why would you address this kind of stuff by way of your past with Timothy? This doesn't need to be talked about. And yet here in these verses, we find something. That it seems as though Paul was actually helped by reflecting on some of his past and some of his failures. See, in verse number 9, or not number 9, but in verse number 15, we read this. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that, Jesus, or that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
Paul said, when it comes to sinners, I am the chiefest of sinners. I am the greatest of sinners. There are no sinners greater than I. So I want us to see this. Paul, why would you call yourself a a, a chief of sinners? Why would you call yourself the the greatest of sinners? Paul, why would you bring up these things that, that, that bring about shame and embarrassment and disgrace? Why? I think Paul would say this. Because it's actually served as a help to me now in my dealings with others. And this morning I want us to think about something before we get to the scripture and before we deal with these thoughts in the next few moments. I want us to think about this. Everyone in this room has a past. That was weak. Everyone in this room has a past. Everyone, I don't care who you look at in this room today, every one of us have a past. And in that past, there are things that every one of us, we would love to go back and change if we had the chance. You may be looking at a preacher this morning in a suit and tie, and you may be saying something like this, what would you change? Uh, Some stuff I'm not talking to you about today. Because I really don't want to talk about it right now, at least not from the pulpit, at least not in a public setting. I'm just saying there is not one in this room today who does not have some things in their life they'd love to change. But we know this. It's kind of like my corny, goofy, immature letter. You can't. I can't change my past. You can't change your past. So what do we do with that now? Well, like Paul, we use that to help us in our spiritual lives and how we deal with others. Someone says, well, what do you mean? Well, let's begin by looking in verse number 14. Remember, Paul said he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor, and he was injurious. In verse number 14, he said this, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. I want us to see this because, again, I think this is so important, and I think this is so helpful. One of the reasons it seems as though Paul was not worried about trying to forget his past was this. It reminded him of the exceeding abundant grace that God bestowed on him when God saved him. When Paul went through the memories of his life, when when Paul had those visions, when Paul had those those dreams, whenever Satan would bring those things to his mind that, that would remind him of his past, maybe to try to bring that shame, that disgrace, that embarrassment, whatever it may be, I don't know how all this would have worked, but to an extent, here is what Paul did. He used his past as a reminder of the exceeding abundant grace that God had bestowed on him. This morning, I want us to think about this. I want us to give attention to this truth for just a moment, and then we're going to move on. 
But for every sin that you and I committed prior to our salvation, for everything that, that we engaged in that we know was unholy, that was unrighteous, that, that was an offense to a holy, sinless God, we can use that to be reminded of this truth. That we are the recipients of the exceeding, abundant grace of our Lord. The same grace that saved the Apostle Paul there on the road to Damascus, when you and I think about everything we're guilty of and everything that we've done that we'd like to go back and change, without the shame, without the embarrassment, we can remind ourselves, God must have loved me much. Because he showed so much mercy in my life. Isn't that an amazing thing to consider? That God had that kind of mercy. God had that kind of grace. God had that kind of kindness. Knowing what we were guilty of, he was still willing to save us. But past that, not only did it serve as a reminder of the exceeding abundant grace that he had been the recipient of, turn back just a little bit maybe in your Bible to verse number 12. He said this, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Now I know this is going to seem a little bit jumbled up maybe or it might seem like we're bouncing around a little bit. But as Paul thought about the exceeding abundant grace that he had been the recipient of, here's how he kind of started his thoughts. He said, And I thank Christ Jesus who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I want us to focus on this for just a moment. Here is what Paul did or what happened in Paul's life when he reflected on the grace of God. It made him thankful that God had brought him to this place in his life. Think about this as it relates to you and I. Are we not the recipients of exceeding abundant grace? If we are saved, that is true. I am the recipient and you are the recipient of an exceeding abundant measure of grace. And as we think about that, what should it do? It should provoke in us and it should stir up within us this this attitude of, of thankfulness and gratitude to think where we were and where God has brought us. It ought to provoke some kind of thanks that God did this in my life. So as Paul reflected on his past, as Paul was aware of who he used to be and that he was the chiefest of sinners, he recognized the grace of God in his life and the abundance of it. It made him grateful. It also did this. It kept him humble. It kept him humble. Somebody says, well, well, how do we know? We'll go back to verse number 12 and let's reread what we just read. 
after the, the expression of thanks, he said, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Here is what you see in this word, or in this verse, and, and in other portions of Scripture, no doubt. Here is what we see, is that Paul realized every bit of this was the work of God. It had nothing to do with him and what he had done. realizing where he once had been, the grace and the mercy that had been bestowed on him, not only provoked in him this attitude of thanks, but it kept him humble, realizing had it not been for God, none of this transition in his life would have ever been possible. You know why it's good for you and I to be reminded and to be aware of our past sins and our past failures? Again, it's not for the sake of shame and embarrassment and disgrace. It's a benefit to us, though, for us to be mindful of it because it keeps us humble, realizing that if God had not done the work, we would not be where we're at today. If God had not been patient, if God had not been long-suffering, if, not, if God had not, been, had, had not been so good to us, we would not be here today. Friends, we have got to stay humble. And one of the ways in which we stay humble is to remember that outside of the grace of God, we're no different than anyone else who walks on this earth. We may look at someone engaged in some sin. We may look at someone engaged in some lifestyle that is repulsive to an almighty God. And, and if we will remember where we came from, rather than getting bold, rather than, rather than getting proud and arrogant and saying, I'm glad I'm not like them, it reminds us, boy, had God not worked in my life, That is who I could have been. So Paul seems to have no desire to forget who he was, in part because it reminded him of the abundant, exceeding grace of our Lord. It helped him to stay thankful and it helped him to stay humble. But there's one more thing that I want us to see in this, and that is this. When Paul remembered who he was in the past, what he was saved from, and the grace that he received, it reminded him that no one is beyond salvation. Somebody says, where do you get that from? Okay, as we continue reading from verse 12 down through verse number 15, he said in verse number 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. When Paul reflected on who he was, the life that he had lived in the past, whenever Paul truly believed, as I I, I think he did, as Paul truly believed that he was the chiefest of sinners, it reminded him that there is no one out there that the grace of God cannot reach and reconcile and restore. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need the reminder. Sometimes we get 
busy in our world and we get, we get busy in our lives and, and, and we come across someone and they're engaged in this and they're engaged in this and, and this is a part of their story and this is a part of their life and, and this is what they're doing on a regular basis. And, and sometimes you look at them and you think, my goodness, that is a hard shell to crack. And it might be. But it's not an impossible shell to crack. That may be a person who is very engrossed in their sin. That may be a person who is in love with their sin. That may be a person who has no desire whatsoever to change, much like Paul when he was on the way to Damascus. But whoever that person is, whatever their lifestyle is, whatever it is they are engaged in, they are able to be reached by the grace of God. And if we'll remember that God saved us, it'll remind us, that God can and desires and wants to save anyone who walks on this earth. And so this morning I'm going to conclude and I'm going to close in a fashion that, that may seem a little odd. It may seem counterproductive in this world that we live in. It may be something that you might even say, Brother Kyle, I don't want to do that. You don't have to do this, but I'm going to ask you to do this with me, all right? For just a moment, I'm going to ask you to think about some of your sins that you don't really want to talk about. I want you to think about those things that you have done, those places you have gone, those activities that you engaged in, that if you were to begin talking about them right now, you would do so with the sense of shame and embarrassment. And you might say, Brother Kyle, I don't want to go there. Listen, I'm asking you to go there, not so that you'll be ashamed, not so that you'll be embarrassed, not so that you'll, you'll leave here feeling heavy and discouraged about yourself and your past, but I want you to go there for this reason. I want you to think about the great grace of God that reached down into your life one day, showed you that you were a sinner, and that he was willing to save you if you would just call upon him to do so. Think about how amazing that transaction was. Regardless of what you were involved in, regardless of what you were guilty of, think about it. Whatever it is that's playing in your mind right now, the moment you humbled yourself and called upon Christ to save you, there was enough grace to do so. Think about that. Think about those things, whatever it may be, for this reason. Whenever you think about the grace of God, it can make you grateful in ways that maybe you've lost sight of in the last days, weeks, or months. To think that it was you, it was me, who was on a road to hell. But the grace of God reached down and it was amazing grace. He saved you. What's well, something you can be thankful of and thankful for today? Think about that for this reason. Think about those sins for this reason. It'll help keep you humble. Because you're no better and I'm no better than anyone else walking down the street today. If not for the grace of God, there go I. Friends, we need to be reminded of that. 
Think about your sins. Think about your past. And tell me you're any better than anyone else living out there. We're not. It keeps us humble. And it also kind of keeps us encouraged. Because it reminds us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord can and shall be saved. When we reflect on our past and what God has saved us from, there is no one out there that we will come into contact with that we would have to look at them and say, man, I'm sorry, there's not enough grace for you. No, there is enough grace for everyone, and we need that reminder sometimes. Is it fun to look back on our mistakes? Is it fun to look back on our failures? Do we do so with a sense of lightheartedness and and, and no real regard? We don't if we have any sense at all. Can it be a little embarrassing? Of course it can. Again, I want to stress this. I'm not trying to shame any of us today because we're all in that same position. But I just want us to be reminded great grace was shown to us That is something to be thankful for. It keeps us humble when our pride might want to lift ourselves up and and say how great we are. And it reminds us anyone can know the same grace that we have known. I don't know what you need this morning. I I I don't know how this message may apply to you. You may be sitting here this morning saying to yourself, I've never called upon Christ to save me because I felt like I was... I was too far gone and I wasn't worthy to be saved. I want you to know that Christ can save you like he can save and has saved countless others in the past. All you've got to do is be willing to humble yourself and call upon him and he will save you. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and saying, I'm saved, but man, it's been rough and I've not been living right and I've not been living the way that I'm supposed to be living and and, and I'm kind of embarrassed by it. I understand we ought to be embarrassed when we don't live right. But the same grace that saved us is the same grace that's available to restore us and get us back to where we ought to be in our relationship with Christ if we'll humble ourselves and make things right. There is grace to be found. When it is known, it will provoke gratitude. It will keep us humble. And it will keep us mindful that anyone can be saved. I hope we remember from whence we came for the right reasons so that we might be helped in our walk with God. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. I pray that you would help us, Lord. As unenjoyable as it may be, I pray that you'd help us to reflect on what we used to be, the life we used to live, and the grace that you showed to deliver us from that. Lord, there might be someone here this morning and they need to call upon you to save them because they've never done so in their lives. And they need to know today that that you will save them wherever they're at, no matter what they've been guilty of, because you've got enough grace. Lord, if that's what's needed, I pray that they would come forward this morning, that they'd be willing to talk to myself or someone else. Lord, that they'd be willing to make that right. 
God, for someone in here today who may just not be where they know they're supposed to be and they wonder whether or not there's enough grace to be made right with you, I pray that you'd remind them today that there is enough grace, that you long for that more than anything else. God, I pray that you'd help us to be grateful. I pray that you'd help us to stay humble. And I pray that you'd remind us that anyone can be reached with your grace. There's no one too far gone. I pray that you'd use the invitation however you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.